0: It's the end of the
1: world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birth, snakes, and aeroplanes, yeah, many brutes, not afraid. I have a hurricane, listen to yourself, the world, but don't need something, give your own hands. beat it up, and that's what got, no excuse, The ladder, put the clatter, with the fear of fight, downright, fire and a fire, listen to the southern gang, the government, for hiring a combat site, let's do coming in a hurry, the fury get down your neck. Reporter, trapper, the border, the with that low plane, flying them. over the corner, so don't see the devil, see the in your see your Tell me? me the river, with the right. It's the the world we know it, It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine
0: Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of Doom.
2: Perhaps, but also, and bloom! And
0: bloom, because bloom, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a terrific time of triumph in a tumultuous world. I'm Joe Alden MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 900 actually closing in on 1,000 posts, videos, (laughs) and podcasts, not there yet though, on medical preparedness for any disaster
2: absolutely and I'm Amy Alton I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife
0: you are indeed and the hostess with the mostest our mission to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster we are the prodigious pair the beauty and the beast (laughs) the queen and the codger and we're here to help you keep it together even if everything else falls apart friends and neighbors yes have you been injured in an accident with a calculating chameleon. Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this.
2: All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available.
0: Ah, but what if the rescue helicopter isn't on the horizon there? Well, in times of trouble, you might be the highest medical resource left to that lovely family of yours So use that brain the Almighty gave you and learn what to do for injuries and illnesses in times of trouble. And while you're at it, get some supplies, a medical kit maybe, to go along with that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the incredible Nurse Amy's entire (laughs) line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues when the you-know-what hits a fan, designed by a real doctor and advanced registered practitioner. Compare them for contents, quality, cost with anybody else's stuff you got and believe me.
2: Yes. <laughs> believe you? I believe you.
0: You do good. Well, if you've got more sense in a box of rocks, <laughs> you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. By the way, people wonder why we say our all information given and opinions voiced. The disclaimer. Why we say that because we are Retired, but we have active medical licenses, and we like those licenses, and so therefore, that's why we have to say all the things that we say in our disclaimer. Don't
2: write us down as your primary care doctors on any forms. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) They might say, who's Dr. Bones and (laughs) Darcemi?
0: Unless the apocalypse has occurred, and then feel feel free.
2: (laughs) No problem.
0: Hey, keep us awake, Jake. We learn as much from you as you do from us, so why not connect with us, soy? It's easy. Here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how.
2: Of course, you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And like our Doom and Bloom Facebook page, and that's Doom and Bloom with a TM at the end. Um, that's where you can get all the updates on articles and videos and all the good stuff that's happening I also have events up there so you know where we're going to be which I'll mention in a second
0: I want to say one thing before you go on yeah we use TM it's that's trademark on doom and bloom but miracle grow yes appears to not care much about our trademark because if you use miracle grow your garden will go from doom to bloom (laughs) according to their most recent uh
2: commercial on television (laughs) i'm in the kitchen i don't know making tea or something and i hear and your plant will go from doom to bloom i was like Did I just hear that? I had to rewind (laughs) it to actually listen to it. Remember, I pulled you in. I'm like, honey, you have to hear this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not exactly doom boom, but that
2: was hilarious. Pretty close. No, that was really funny. So I'm
0: a little upset. No,
2: you're not. No, I'm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can also follow us. It's perfect
2: for them. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's true. You can follow us on Twitter Mm. at Prepper Show. Where else?
2: YouTube channel, and I'm putting up new videos, folks. So don't forget to subscribe, so you can see the video. Within seconds of me putting it up, which how do is,
0: they get to it?
2: Yeah, that's cool. It's our channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, and we have another podcast.
0: Right. Yeah. Of course, we have this podcast, which you can find on Blog Talk Radio. If you want to see our archives of hundreds of shows, by the way,
2: also you uh, iTunes. It's on and iTunes I, and
0: on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, and our other podcast is all about current events and. Uh, I sort of put on my and hat. politics. Yes, uh, we. I put on my if you're hat. You're not interested
2: a, in politics. Don't listen.
0: <laughs> yes, we do. We do talk some politics there, and uh,
2: North Korea and all right, the craziness of the right. world.
0: I'm a contributor at the Daily Caller. Uh, write articles over there sometimes, <clears throat> and, and our podcast is called American Survival Radio because we talk about America's survival.
1: Yes. What
0: else? And that's also. Uh, not only is that on GCN Live. GCNlive.com, that's Genesis Communications, but it's also broadcast from a number of radio stations, KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, KRFE, Lubbock, Texas, KFAR, Fairbanks, Alaska, some internet stations such as KIMB, uh, Talk 365, and of course, our good friends, and we have been with them for years at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, other great networks so oh and by the way don't forget to come to see us in person we're going to be traveling very Um, soon
2: tell them where we're going to be yes i'm happy to do that well we're actually leaving for tennessee tomorrow morning saturday morning the 29th driving up to the smokies tennessee i'm so excited uh stopping by to see my dad he's very excited to see us May 6th and 7th is the Mother Earth News Expo near Asheville Um, big event it's a lot of homesteading beekeeping animal husbandry all kinds of really cool stuff a lot of natural medicines are you know being made so you get to see the people who are making them and we added a class May 13th folks if you are anywhere in tennessee georgia north carolina south carolina kentucky if you can get to near knoxville tennessee this is a class you don't want to miss it's an eight hour training class a lot of hands-on we don't do this very often i don't think we've done it in two years (laughs) maybe three (laughs) but um yeah you'll you'll learn a lot if you want to sign up go to doomandbloom.net and go to the classes page i also added a hands-on training page on the store at store.doomandbloom.net so either of those two places you can get the PayPal button scroll to the bottom past the descriptions and you'll find the one that is in Tennessee for the eight-hour class and you can purchase yourself a spot we're limited and because right. uh, we don't want it to be a huge class cause right. we give you guys uh, a lot of personal hands-on you get Free stuff, DVDs, a suture kid, a staple kid, an Israeli bandage, a blood pressure cuff, and stethoscope. Yeah. Um, you get a
0: lot of stuff and we talk about stuff. and we teach you how to use those things and not only that.
2: And the suture classes in that eight hours too.
0: You will know how to recognize somebody with pneumonia. You'll know how to rec- how to deal with bleeding wounds, know what to do in a mass casualty situation. Yep. You will have a lot of Absolutely, hands on,
2: I just want to mention You're going to have tourniquets in your own hands You will learn how to use A soft tea tourniquet, a cat tourniquet And a SWAT tourniquet All three of those So definitely want to get out and check that out Texas will be there uh, Near Dallas airport in Irving, Texas It's called uh, Self Reliance Expo Their website doesn't have a whole lot of information But it's a Friday and Saturday And if you want to take a bleeding class, I just changed that, folks. It was suturing. I decided I'm going to do my bleeding class. Again, hands-on training, learning Israeli bandages, tourniquets, how to stop bleeding, all about bleeding. You're going to do the first part of the lecture. Yep. Tell people uh, what does it look like when you've lost a certain amount of blood (laughs) and exactly what to do. So that will be exciting. Again, if you want to sign up for the bleeding control class. In Dallas, Texas, that is going to be on that classes page again, either the store or doomandbloom.net.
0: Sounds good. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, bleeding issues, or the you know the failure to control hemorrhage. That's a common cause of death in trauma situations. Certainly, you'll see a lot of issues with that in survival settings. Uh, And of course, just in normal times now, which I'm not sure I can call times normal these days, but we've got active shooter events in the United States. We have, gosh, truck attacks, all sorts of nutty stuff. And it just pays for the average citizen to have an idea of what to do to stop heavy bleeding. Matter of fact, the government finds it so important that they actually have something called the stop the bleed initiative in order to foster awareness of the importance of of this kind of education now i get a number of different magazines i belong to a number of different organizations wilderness medical society uh, journal of special ops medicine or association of special ops medicine Um, and i get let's say journals relating to emergency medical services one is called gems g-e-m-s journal of emergency medical services and the latest issue they have a doctor and two emt paramedics that put forth their recommendations for the packing of hemorrhagic wounds with either plain and or hemostatic gauze things like quick clots and others and in this article they reinforce the principles that we have talked about many times on this show, uh, direct pressure for bleeding wounds, tourniquet use to control bleedings and to save lives. Now, in 2012, the American College of Surgeons, of which I'm a retired fellow, and other organizations formed a joint commission to improve survivability in heavily bleeding injuries. Indeed, one out of every five people who die of hemorrhage can be saved by bystanders with some knowledge and maybe uh, a few supplies now they endorse direct pressure as a primary technique to reduce hemorrhage but they reviewed also evidence for the use of hemostatic gauze and they found it to be an effective tool 90% of cases so if you don't have some of this stuff probably a good idea to have some of it we're going to have john steinbaugh of uh, Extat, uh talking with us and he has another uh, gauze that he thinks is useful and you'll hear about that later in the show. Now packing wounds, now that's very useful in many situations, but not all wounds of the neck are problematic to pack because of the risk of compressing airways, for example. Packing injuries in the belly or the chest, well, those might not be effective either because of the deep nature of the bleeding vessels and and the many places that they can go when you press on the bleeding, you might have blood go elsewhere into the belly or elsewhere into the chest. So this is one reason why in an off-grid setting, you're going to have a high death rate from wounds like this in the belly and in the chest. Statistics from the Civil War put mortality rates in these areas at about 70%, and you might expect a figure like that in a long-term survival situation. Now, the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Guidelines from the military approve hemostatic gauze as dressings of choice for severe bleeding. These products use materials that enhance or produce clots. Uh, Quick clotting uh, is one of them. It uses kaolin, an original original ingredient of kaopectate. Sealox and chytogauze are also recommended. They use chytosan, a product made from the shells of crustaceans. Now, Extat, made by RevMedics, is preferred by TCCC for hemorrhage in areas like the armpit or the groin uh, they actually have a new product we're going to talk about called x-gauze and that was recently uh, described to us by john steinbaugh you'll hear that today as uh, and he feels that it's an effective item to control bleeding without kaolin or kytosan instead using these expanding sponges that are built into the dressing itself so let's talk about what the team the doctor or paramedic team that wrote the article on packing wounds, what they recommend, with whether you're using plain or hemostatic gauze, but what they want you to do is quickly, of course, right at the beginning, aggressively apply direct pressure with a gloved hand, a clean dressing or a cloth, or, or a dre- uh, or a bandage, you know, typical bandage, or even the knee or the elbow when breaking out your supplies. So you have to get your stuff out, right? And so sometimes you actually have to put your knee or elbow on somebody so you can actually have your hands free to break out the various types of gauzes, dressings, tourniquets, things that you need. Now, they also recommend exploring the wound with your finger to find the actual source of bleeding. You actually have to look for where the bleeding's occurring. That might not be easy sometimes. And what you do is you apply pressure against nearby bones. So if you have bleeding in the bicep from a blood vessel, you want to press maybe the uh, artery against the humerus or the upper arm bone uh, to increase the effectiveness of that pressure then they want you to tightly and i mean tightly pack the wound cavity as deeply as you can while continuing to apply pressure on the bleeding vessel they want you to pack directly onto the vessel itself and go from there and make it as tight as possible now hemostatic gauze is effective sometimes sufficient pressure with just plain gauze may be enough Now, you want to maintain pressure on the pack wound for at least three minutes, especially with hemostatic gauze. You want to place a tight pressure dressing on top of that once you feel that you've got the bleeding under some control. An Israeli battle dressing, an Olaes bandage, O-L-A-E-S bandage. You can see pictures of this on our store, of course, of each one of these. And you put it over the whole thing, and you make it snug. And then you might consider splinting the wound, especially if that person is going to be transported to some other place, That's they may re-bleed. They may start bleeding again, so splinting a wound is going to help immobilize it and help prevent re-bleeds. Don't forget the importance of tourniquets. These are imperative to control heavy bleeding. If the bleedings become saturated, you may have to use more packing. You may have to start over. Usually they say to pack on top of the one. but if it's just totally saturated, you may just have to start over it is frustrating, but it's something it might have to be done. Now, a second tourniquet also is another way to deal with it. You might need a second tourniquet, so your storage should always have at least two tourniquets. Let's say a soft tee and maybe a SWAT tourniquet or, or two soft tees or two cat tourniquets. This is important. You have to remember that when you're transporting people, they get jostled around, especially in an emergency situation. So you've got to, Get that person either to a trauma center or in survival situations, get them to where the bulk of your medical supplies are. You know, we are members of the expert council for Jack Spearco's popular survival podcast, and we get a number of questions from the listeners over there as well as listeners to our own show. Sometimes those questions pertain here, and so I want to talk a little bit about what to do with obese members of your group when the You Know What Hits a Fan. This week's question for the expert counsel comes from Adam in Northern California, who writes We all know that obesity is an epidemic in the United States, but I'm mostly concerned about the fate of the morbidly obese in a mid or long term breakdown situation. It seems likely that food would have to be rationed during periods of uncertainty, and it seems like rationing a severely obese person the same as a more normal weight person would put them at more risk for complications. Is this a concern? What do we do when Fat Uncle Freddy comes over to ride out the next disaster? Well, Adam, you're absolutely right that we have an epidemic of obesity in the United States. The fate of the morbidly obese in a situation where you're off-grid and on the run is probably not something I'd like to talk about. I always talk about the need to be fit for the situation with which you expect to be confronted. Any morbidly obese people would be unlikely to perform activities of daily survival. Therefore, convince your group members with obese levels BMIs to begin working to reduce weight and improve fitness before a disaster occurs. In normal times, there are diet plans, drugs, even minor surgical procedures that will help even the heaviest person lose weight if they're committed to do so. Otherwise, decide that you're going to be able to support an obese family member without getting much help from them in return to increase your chances of survival. This may be perfectly reasonable if you're talking about your mom or dad, or if the obese person comes with a great deal of food or other supplies that will improve your group's chance of making it. Survival settings, the obese group member is going to lose some weight, and due to physical exertion that just can't be avoided, they may become more physically fit if they don't have other medical issues, such as clogged coronary arteries or, let's say, type 1 diabetes. These folks will suffer higher mortality rates than folks whose only problem is extra weight. Type 2 diabetics, interestingly enough, may remain stable or even improve under the dietary restrictions and increase physical activity as part and parcel of being off the grid, although the effects will be variable. Now, here's some dietary advice for these folks. To lose a pound of fat, you have to eliminate 3,500 calories from your diet. Now, by cutting just 500 calories a day, you can lose one pound a week. Now, typically losing one to two pounds a week is perfectly healthy weight loss. However, if you're morbidly obese and you begin a healthy diet, and exercise certainly, you will have greater weight loss most likely in the first few weeks. For the grand majority of obese persons, this is okay. A safe caloric range for most women wanting to lose weight is 1,000 to 1,200 calories per day. According to the National Institute of Health, men should eat between 1,200 and 1,600 calories per day to lose weight. Now, is there an easy way to do this? Not really, but you can try this. When you sit down to a meal, fill one half of your plate with vegetables, one quarter with whole grains, and one quarter with a lean protein. Drink water instead of sugary drinks. You have to eliminate things like soda from your diet. You should replace saturated fats found in fatty animal products with healthy fats such as olive oil, lean poultry, unsalted nuts, unsalted seeds. You want to eliminate trans fats, which are found in processed foods from your diet. This requires reading the labels, but it's worth it. Now, anyone who's got more sense than God gave a clam will know that the morbidly obese will be challenged in a long-term disaster scenario. Those folks would be well advised to work towards losing weight while there are professionals who can help ease the way in normal times. This is Joe Altman, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. As you know out there, we're always looking for medical strategies that will be available to the average person in a disaster setting, especially a long-term survival scenario. There's a lot of new technology out there, some that fits in really well with preparedness, some well, we have to find out. So We're going to find out about one such technology today. John Steinbaugh is the Director of Strategic Development with RevMedics. Maker of the XSTAT hemostatic device and is a veteran of more than a dozen rotations in Iraq and Afghanistan as a combat medic in the Army? Is it the Army?
1: Army.
0: Okay, there you go. First, allow us to thank you for your service and thank you for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to be associated with RevMedics, the maker of the XSTAT.
1: Back in oh 2006 or seven, I was uh, in the middle of doing rotations in Iraq, and on the battlefield, you know, the this was sort of during that surge time, and Iran was getting involved, providing more advanced explosive devices, and we're just we were starting to see the injuries become more horrific on the battlefield, and common feedback from medics including myself was the the hemostatic gauzes don't work very well you know that was the biggest complaint by the medics is they're great for moderate bleeding but the wounds we're starting to see we're not getting the performance we want we we really don't like holding direct pressure for three to five minutes in combat it's sort of a very vulnerable feeling and we would give feedback and fill out reports when we got back from the battlefield on what we wanted in a more advanced hemostatic agent. You know, and it kept coming back to fix a flat. Guys would come back from the battlefield, and what they would describe is what they want is, like, we want fix a flat for people. Something that you can shoot in the wound to fix The fix a flat, finds the hole, plugs it up, and stops the bleeding without having to put any direct pressure on it or, or you know, for three to five minutes or of pressure at all. They just wanted to fire and forget. They wanted to spray it in and the bleeding instantly stopped. And I was one of those guys coming back from the battlefield complaining. About a year and a half later, I found myself through different means and some injuries taking a job as a medical developer for uh, Army Special Operations. So I was doing what we call combat development, and my area of focus was medical products. So we started reaching out to different companies all around the United States, trying uh, gels, foams, all kinds of different projects we were trying with you know small seed monies through all these people to try to find a product that actually does what the guys want, find that fix-a-flat. Right when I was retiring, one of the companies came up with the x as, as it is today. Resmetics didn't exist back then. Uh, it was just a research company. And one of the college students working for the company had remembered when he was a kid, he had these little expanding sponges that he dropped them in his bathtub, and they turned into a dinosaur or a giraffe or something. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I I must have missed it in my childhood because I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but the, the lantern was lit. Everybody's eyes got big, and they're like, "Oh!" And the company went down to literally a local store, bought a whole bunch of compressed sponges, and tried it out. And the very first time they used it in a lab, it worked and everybody's like oh my i think we're on to something and really from then that it took off from there you know several years of development uh, i had retired from the army by then and i got a call from uh the research company said we're starting a new company called RevMedics. would you like to be the conduit to the military you know be the liaison be that be that end product user that will help us make sure this this product stays on track and is exactly you know does exactly what is advertised. And that's how I ended up moving out here to Oregon and joining Red Medics.
0: Well, tell us about the Xstat device and its mechanism of action. What's it look like and how does it work?
1: You picture those compressed sponges. You put them in a syringe. You know, so when they expand, they create a lot of pressure. So what I like to describe to people. If you ever took a kitchen sponge you know, and you ran it underwater in the sink and it, you know your typical two-inch by six-inch sponge and then tried to wring the water out of it, if you try to take that sponge and put it in your hand and compress it down to the size of a golf ball, it's very difficult. You can feel that sponge pressing against your hands. So Extat does the same thing. You're taking the same volume of sponge that you would have in that giant two-by-six-inch block, you've just punched it into a bunch of little small discs, compressed them, and you put them in a syringe. So when you inject those sponges into a wound and they make contact with blood, they want to expand, and they want to expand back to that larger size. So they're creating pressure inside the wound cavity that is higher than arterial pressure, which makes it enough to tamponade off the bleeding almost instantly.
0: Of course, I've applied direct pressure to bleeds before, actually many times, and I can apply a pretty darn lot of pressure to an area that's bleeding. Does the extat apply a similar quantity of pressure, or is it just does it just need to get above the arterial pressure? Is that what you're saying?
1: The the pressure that extat will exert inside the wound cavity is you know, about 40 to 50 millimeters of mercury higher than a normal person's systolic pressure. So, you know, if somebody in shock is getting who's lost a little bit of blood. Their their pressure should be lower already. But XSTAT will exert uh, that pressure. What's nice about it is 360 degrees inside that wound cavity. The sponge is trying to expand. In the real world, you know, bullets pass through and keep going. Usually with a rifle round. You know, it's not like a laboratory where the the severed artery is always directly on the bottom of a wound, and you could pack gauze directly on top of it and put pressure straight down. That rarely ever occurs with combat wounds, high-velocity wounds, because the bullet kept going. It didn't go in two inches and just stop. You know, the the, the only way you can do the... Where you, where you have that direct pressure, like we train everybody in the world with, where you put the bandage down. You hold your hands over, it, and you're pushing straight down on the vessel. Is really a, a superficial laceration. You know, say, uh, you know, a neck injury or uh, an arm injury where, you know, a shrapnel or a knife wound only went, you know, under your skin an inch and severed an artery. There you have a situation where you can put direct pressure straight down with some gauze and keep that pressure on it. Yeah.
0: but in perforating trauma then what you're saying is when there's an en- entry and an exit wound then if you apply direct pressure let's say to an entry wound then it' just just bleeds out the exit wound
1: or you're not playing the pre- so picture if you were shot through the leg and it severed an artery in your leg you know the way we train people sadly whether it's on mannequins or live tissue is that you're packing gauze in the wound, and you're applying direct pressure straight down onto the artery. Right. But if a bullet if a bullet passes through a leg and severs the artery as it's going through the leg, that that vessel is bleeding into the wound from the sides. Absolutely. So when you're packing pressure, you're packing pressure past that bleeding vessel towards the other end of the wound, and you're not getting any pressure on the sides of the wound cavity. You're getting some. You know, depending on how proficient of a packer you are, but you know, you really have to know your anatomy. You know, you know, most leaders that I encountered in combat, I'd say almost all of them, I could not see the the vessel I was packing into a wound cavity. You know, just with blood coming out of it, I, there right. was no way for me to pack directly on top of the vessel that's injured. Well, what that's
2: happens? What like, what like. Right. Well, what happens anatomically is it actually retracts a little bit. And so you have sort of a a hollow tunnel, and that blood vessel is sort of in there. You can't see it as well as you want because it pouring out blood is, is like you're saying, it's diffusing the whole area with just a massive amount of blood. It is very difficult for people to see exactly the blood vessel because it's not going to stop bleeding. And you're right. It retracts, and you can't see
1: it. And for for pelvic wounds, if it retracts all the way up into the, the pelvic girdle, there's not a lot. People can do it all. I mean, it's that, right. if you've ever seen the movie Black Hawk Down, where Private Jamie Smith is bleeding to death on the table, that was the problem they had is that vessel retracted way up inside the body. Right.
0: So tell us a little bit about the current field experience with x We couldn't see a lot of cases, you know, looking at the Journal of Special Ops Medicine and uh, some other areas. We couldn't find a lot of cases of it being used in the field. Tell me about the current field experience.
1: Well, we have we have over a dozen successful uses to date. To add to that, we've had no failures to date either. Uh, where we run into problems with being able to share that is a the the military that used it may not want that information shared, or if they do, it takes them six months of people getting signatures to get approval to release that information, uh, which has been you know the the one that the first one that was released uh, on the combat use, that that information took almost a year to get approved, just to give it a little a little blurb about what happened on civilian uses by paramedics or in trauma centers. They don't want us to discuss it all because they want to do journal articles in the future, and if we you know, like a Journal of Trauma article, if you publish it anywhere else, it can be rejected from another journal. So they've asked us not to share details of the uses until after they do their journal publication. Because everybody wants data on the Xstat use, but we, you know, everybody w- using it wants to, to, because they're the first adopters, they want to do a journal publication, which is slowing down us being able to share the success stories.
2: Right.
0: Well, you know, a lot of us get a lot of our data from some of the documents put out by the TC3 folks, uh, the Tactical Combat Casualty Care. Now, you mentioned to us in an email there some things we should know about how those guidelines work. Please enlighten us.
1: We we have no control on if the TCCC committee even looks at our product. You know, it's an independent group of guys, mostly military, some civilian that work in the tactical, paramedic, or, or, or SWAT-type environment, when they meet, they meet behind closed doors. You know, industry doesn't get invited to it. We don't get to have our say. And, and really, the, you know, the C committee looked at our product for two years before they made a decision, and the, deceit, the what they were waiting for, uh, we found out, was they wanted to see human data. They wanted some feedback from medics on the battlefield that have used it and the medics that have used it and, uh, the military studies that they've done with the product were shared with the committee, uh, without our you know, knowledge or involvement and made the decision. You know, I, I'll say that we, we X, that was the first team of static agent that was not voted on until it had real world use in combat. You know, the, other hemostatic agents that were recommended by the committee currently were put on the TCCC guidelines before they even had any any human use uh, feedback from the battlefield. Uh, but
0: you think that's you know, because. Caveat
1: you know. it's, uh, it was but. very early in the war. You know, the, the military was desperate for a product uh, that was better than Curlex, and as soon as the military did an animal study showing there's some improvement on an over Curlex, they instantly recommended and instantly fielded it to the whole army.
0: They mentioned that it's best used in certain situations. Tell us about that.
1: The most current guidelines, they still list, and they don't put them in order. Combat Guides is the is the Combat Casualty Care Committee's hemostatic dressing a choice for every soldier to carry. Yeah, but if you look at it, you know they also recommend Cellox and they recommend Kaido Guides. But when you look at the Xstat, it, uh, I think I recall you guys said it, it was third. It's it's not actually third. It was the, it was the third one added, but it states in the guidelines it's the best product to use, best for deep, narrow, track junctional wounds, which is what Xstat was designed for. Xstat was not designed to be your Celox or your Combat Gauze bandage for packing extremity wounds. You know, and stuff like that. You know, the product was designed very specifically for areas of the body where those other hemostatic agents have a very bad track record. Those
0: areas, John, being the axilla, the armpit area, and the groin area. Am I right? Correct.
1: The subclavian artery, the iliac artery right there, those, those big pipes that bleed a lot really fast.
0: The issues for us, as I mentioned at the very beginning of, of this segment, that we're looking for medical strategies that would been, be available to the average person in long-term survival and disaster settings, and yep. XSTAT really requires not an immediate transport but a relatively <clears throat> rapid transport within four hours for the victim to go to a modern medical facility. Is that? I would guess that's correct.
2: And also an, an X-ray before the surgery and an X-ray afterward. And I think what Joe and I are talking about is that, you know, for us. And our education is for people who are in disasters or survival situations where, frankly, those things are not available. So I just mm-hmm. want, you know, you to understand that where we're coming from is recommending things that people can keep long-term, that people can use when there isn't a hospital, hospital available, you know, to take care of something like this.
1: No, I totally agree with you guys. You know, Exstat was not designed for preppers, and it is not your – it's not your drug of choice for preppers when it comes to hemorrhage control. You know, Xstat was designed for combat. It was designed for high-velocity gunshot wounds where the hemorrhage control has to happen in a minute or two or the guy's going to bleed to death. It's very different than a hemostatic bandage. Uh, but with that said, you know, that was some of the early feedback we received on the product immediately from the military was, can you make this into a, a Z-folded gauze dressing just like combat gauze or cellox gauze is packaged? Mm-hmm. So we did that for them. Uh, and it's, it, we call it X gauze So what we did is we took the same type of gauze material that the other hemostatic agents use as a base, and we embedded our, our mini sponges into the dressing. So X-gauze packs into a wound the same way a standard roll of Curl-X or hemostatic gauze does, but embedded in that gauze are the sponges that then expand and apply pressure.
0: Do those sponges come out when you pull the Z-fold out?
1: Absolutely. The sponges are inside two layers of the gauze, so they're permanently embedded in it. So the whole dressing pulls out just like a roll of Curl-X would.
0: Well, I think that that's something that our audience probably has never heard of. I, I can't say that I've seen it reported on yeah, the anywhere. Re-
2: the reference I think most people have with extat is we think about the syringe, and I know there's a new syringe too that you probably want to talk about, a smaller one.
1: Yep. So you know, not every not every gunshot wound is a has a large devastating exit wound like like assault rifles do. You know, people get shot with pistols you know, pieces of shrapnel from grenades. Uh, People get stabbed. And uh, we came out with a smaller applicator that uses the same sponges that are made for very narrow entrance wounds that are, you know, quite frankly, you can't even get your finger in them to pack gauze because they're that small. So this applicator goes inside and then applies the sponges. Uh, But with that said, you know, for prepping, that's still not your... They have you have to get to a hospital or you've got to take them out yourself. All right. We are working on some different designs for that uh, for the civilian community. You know, picture, you know, maybe sponges on a string or some other ways that you can take them all out at once uh, externally from, you know, outside of a hospital.
2: Now, let's talk a little bit more about this ex-gauze um, because, again, this is could be something that our audience uh, would be interested in now. Some of our concerns about the Xstat syringe was that it's a prescription, and it was quite costly. And I know that uh, oh, there's you did, some
0: new information on price points on yeah, this, you did, right, yeah, John?
2: And I was just going to let him say that I had mentioned it was over $400. That it the price is coming down, um, and and you can talk about that in a second. But I also want you to refer to the X-GAUSE as is a prescription. About how What's much the would cost? the cost be? and is this available for our audience to get a hold of?
1: Uh, yeah, it was uh, expensive yeah, it was when, when it first came out, and like any new product, with economy of scale and buying, uh, the come down. Uh, it's been that way forever, you know, so as we get more orders from the military and the civilian community, the price comes down, and it's coming down a lot, uh, plus we're getting some, you know, the military's working with us with you know manufacturing solutions and upgrades you know ways to make the product cheaper you know you have to remember uh back in 2003 i think it was when the first and dressings came out they were more than $500 each today they're they're under $50 right you know but early adopters and people buying the product brings the price down rapidly uh you know, we have only been available to the civilian community since I think about April of 2016. Before that, our only customer was the military uh, and military special operations, you know, using them uh, in combat. Uh, yeah. But about the the, the uh it's available to anybody. Uh, it's in the same category as you know your your other hemostatic gauzes. Uh, you you can buy it you know, from our distributors or directly from us, it's very comparatively priced, uh, maybe a tad cheaper than, uh, the other hemostatic agents. Uh, and and me personally, you know, I think it's a better product. I think it's what I call a cleaner product. Uh, you know, when I talk about clean products, you know, I, I have lots of, uh, worry and issues on, you know, the hemostatic agents, you know, there have been, uh, you know, In the United States, all the studies done on CELOX uh, and all the other gauzes, combat gauze, they always stop their studies, uh, I think, between two and four hours after the bleeding. So they pack the stuff in, they get hemorrhage control, they monitor the animal for two to four hours, and then they call it a day. You know, they stop the whole procedure, you know, they do what they do, euthanize, and they write a paper on it. Uh, what bothers me are the alarm, long-term effects of chitosin in the body or or kaolin in the body. And, you know, there's a NATO country that just did a study, uh, and they took the animals all the way out 24 hours post-injury. And what they found is... The, you know, the chitosin granules and cell and and uh, the particulate in the gauzes, they travel. You know, when they did the necropsies, they found chitin in, in the lungs and the kidneys and the liver. You know, and in, uh, in the brain, they found it everywhere with inflammation and uh, fibrino-something, fibrinogaster Fibrenonec- embolize. Okay. So it's
0: like, holy cow. The question is whether these microscopic emboli, these particles that are there, how often do they actually become emboli? In other words, how often do they actually
1: Cause a problem. block
0: the a circulation blood, a blood to, let's say, in the lung or in the brain, things exactly. like that? And what are the effects? Now, I guess it must be difficult to to determine you know, the effects on the brain in a pig. No, you can't ask the pig questions and see if he's are <laughs> you know exploring name? his speech. Yeah, do you remember your name?
2: And if you do a study, make sure you ask the pig, uh, mm-hmm. does he know what day it is and <laughs> what, what time it is and, and what his name is?
0: In the worst situations, you have to realize that you're going to save a person by using them, then you should use them, but otherwise you have to be very judicious in your use of these, just as you are with the use of all of your medical supplies in times of trouble. So, this is certainly good information, John. We we appreciate your coming on the show. Do you have anything else to tell us?
1: On the X, you know, that's one thing I like about the X gauze is there, we didn't put any hemostatic coatings on the gauze. Mainly cuz the me- mechanism of action is mechanical pressure. It expands right. and that's what stops the bleeding, which makes it a v- nice, very clean product. And uh it, it's been it was just added to an, uh, what the army calls the shark bite kit. We make a blast injury kit, which I think is good for uh, vehicle accidents as well. Uh, but they included it in their kit, uh, 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 it's a multi packaged kit. It's pretty good. I do have a couple things, though. Uh, just small things based on I took some notes from the other show you guys did, uh, and I just wanted to cover a couple of them. Uh, you know, uh, removal of X It takes longer, obviously, than a roll of gauze to get out of the wound. But one thing the, the military did and the FDA insisted on, we had to do a removal study with a panel of trauma surgeons. We had to go to Wake Forest University with a whole bunch of trauma surgeons who are skeptical already. Uh, and we did cadaver labs where we let the surgeons simulate these identical combat injuries, put extat in the wound, uh, expand the extat. And then the other surgeons would have to remove the product as if the casualty came into their ER. And, mm-hmm. you know, long story short is they had to write up reports to the FDA and all of them were like, this is no big deal, no problem. We don't have any issues with it. Quite easy to remove.
2: Yeah, I
0: don't see an issue for a surgeon. If you have the uh, ability to have the an oper- a functioning operating exactly. room, it's not difficult correct, to go correct. in and, and dig out. Sponges, but those someone are, does have they, to count
2: them. I somebody, know that yeah. for the operating room. As, yes. as, as a nurse, I mm. know that whatever yeah, but, that surgeon puts in and takes out has to be carefully counted, counted yeah. to, down to yep. the single digit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> or somebody's yeah. in trouble.
1: That's, yeah. And that's why they shoot the X-ray because you don't know what the medic in the field put in. You know, right. he might have only he might have only put in half a syringe of sponges to control the hemorrhage. You know, maybe the wound was small enough that you could only get half a syringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with that said, uh, you know, with all of our uses to date, no one's ever used more than one syringe on a human. One thing we see a lot of, which is sort of like, a, when I'm trying to do what I call rumor control, is people always report you got to use four, six, eight syringes. That was the case on some animal, uh, training that's been done. So if guys out there, girls out there have ever done live tissue training, you know, when you make that wound in the pocket of, you know, the leg, whether the front or the back on animals, there's a lot of loose tissue there, you know, and some of these guys make really big open wounds, you know, that you can get your whole hand in there and pack, that is only found on animal models you know those same wounds would require you know six rolls of Curlex to feel if, if they make them that way you know that right. was designed for a narrow entrance gunshot wound not a big filleted open uh injury you know the sponges right. have to have they have to have something to press against to create the pressure and right. what we found is on a lot of these animal models and if they're made big and, and because the tissue on animals and that fascia expands, in order for the sponges to get to the pressure they need, which is easily done on humans, it can take six applicators in a big swine model. Right. Uh, you know, so so I, far to date on humans, we have not seen more than one applicator used uh, on anyone.
2: Again, it goes back to the fact that you're not getting all of the good data from Actual human use and the only thing that you and the and us have to go on are the animal studies which you just referred to so during the show I said well it was shown that you might have to use up to eight of them and that's exactly what the animal studies have shown so you know it's nice to hear from you that there have yeah. been a dozen human uses and they haven't had to use more than one
1: you know there's there's kitus in autumn right now uh, that may change in the future uh, you know, on uh, on our package, it says right on the front package in, in, in big red letters, it contains chitosan. That may change in the future. The military is making a push to get rid of hemostatic agents off off of these things. Uh, it, might, it might be from some of these studies we see where there's some detrimental effects in long-term use, uh, you know, but we have been asked by the military to look at removing chitosan from our sponges and we've done that we did a study an animal study showing that the sponges work just as well without the chitosin
0: interesting to see that and right now they're using the quick clock combat gauze the cell and have you heard of any major issues with regards to uh, a lot of the casualties suffering complications 24 hours down the road
1: uh overall generally no and I would, I would think that's because of our outstanding ambulance-type services where when a person gets shot, they, from from point of injury to the, to the OR, is usually less than two hours. And, and that's true for Iraq. That's true for New Orleans. Uh, we have a really good EMS system. The products are only in there a short time, and there's not a lot of data saying there's any detrimental effects of of those products.
0: Well, John, yep. thank you so much. We really appreciate your insights into the x for, and, and for coming on the show. Well, our audience may certainly have questions. How can they connect with you or uh, others that uh, might be able to answer their questions?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, they have, you know, uh, our website, revmedx Besides x stat we got a lot of great products. You know, one your preppers probably would love, is a product called the Parabelt. We, we took a mil-spec military-style belt, and we added incorporated a military tourniquet into the design of the belt. So your daily wear, everyday belt can be your tourniquet. And we even had it tested by the Army. They gave it two thumbs up, says it works great. When we get prepper emails and phone calls and people buying product from us, it's almost always the Parabelt because uh, it's just a good piece of kit and i i'll tell you i wear mine everywhere i don't care if i'm in a suit or i'm in my <laughs> jeans i wear my parabelt everywhere because i always have a tourniquet on me
0: i believe we describe it in our survival medicine handbook as yeah, matter it's a matter of fact as, as a tourniquet option absolutely well john thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it i hope to have you on again sometime when you have some news
1: yeah yeah sounds great thanks uh, i listen to your show quite often actually
0: Thank you, John. I appreciate it.
2: Have a wonderful day. And again, thank you for your service. Oh, thank
0: you. Okay, boys and girls, there you have it. That's all the time that we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll be back next week from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Hallelujah. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become in these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse? You need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Joe Alton, MD, of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.